We're continuing our series, Ghost Stories, which we'll talk more of in just a moment. But if you'll stand with me in honor of reading God's Word, we're going to read the first eight verses of John chapter 3. And God's Word says this, There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. And Jesus replied, truly, I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse four, how can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him, can he enter his mother's womb a second time? And be born. And Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. We'll stop there at verse 7. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and for this day. God, I pray that you would teach us, grow us, and mold us, shape us into the image of Jesus this morning. God, as we look at this biblical doctrine of regeneration, God, would you bring clarity to that which may be unclear for us, that we would fully and adequately understand the role of the Holy Spirit in the formation of our hearts. Give us ears to hear from you, Lord, hands and feet to live out the truths that we encounter in your word. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. I can remember there's some memories I have that are very vivid, and one being when I was 17 years old, I had a Friday night off from the pizza shop I was working at at the time, and my friend Matt called me and he said, hey man, we're both off work tonight, would you like to go and hang out? I said, yeah, of course. He said, all right, meet me at Pizza Hut at 6.30. So I went and I got dressed, I drove over to Pizza Hut, I parked my car, stood outside of my Honda Civic at the time. My friend Matt at about 6.30 pulled in uh, with his dad's Honda Accord and pulled up and I got into the passenger side and I said, hey man, what are we going to do? And he said, I'll show you here in a moment. Matt proceeded, this is a true story, 17 years old, proceeded to circle around the Pizza Hut building. He went to the other side of the building, he backed into a parking spot and he turned off the car. I said, Matt, what in the world are we doing? He said, I have a date tonight and you're coming with me. what? He said, oh yeah, she's going to be here in about 15 minutes and you're coming on this date with me and this girl that I've never met before. I said, Matt, I hate you. And God's honest truth for the first and only time, let me emphasize that, only time in my entire life I served as a third wheel on a date with someone else. You say, Aaron, why do you start with such an awkward, first off, but why do you start with such a story like that? We were in life group this past Wednesday, and one of our interns, John, made this analogy that I thought summed up the Ghost Stories series so well. And I don't say this with any disrespect, but I do say this to help us understand how we often view the Holy Spirit. That often, if we're not cautious, we treat the Holy Spirit like the third wheel of the Trinity, We have a full understanding of the the Father. We have a full understanding of Jesus. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, often we're thankful that the Holy Spirit is in our midst. We're thankful the Holy Spirit is around. But at the same time, sometimes as Christians, we step back and it's like, yeah, I'm thankful He's here, 
but I don't know why he's here. I'm glad he's in our midst, but I'm really not sure why he's here. I understand the Father, I understand the Son, but the Holy Spirit kind of seems like the third wheel that you're thankful for, but you're sitting back sometimes going, why did we bring you along? We're not really quite sure. And what we do with this series, Ghost Stories, as Pastor Joe um, began to talk about last week, is we want to bring clarity to the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in the Scriptures, especially being that we're a Baptist church. Again, we say this every time. If you didn't know that, sorry, we didn't mean to trick you, but we are. We are a Southern Baptist church, undercover, but we are. As a Baptist church, sometimes the Spirit of God is just something we just don't talk about a lot. We have our Pentecostal brothers and sisters where the Spirit of God is something that they're engaged with every week. With the Baptists, we're kind of like, eh, we're not really sure. We don't want to be weird, but at the same time, we don't want to be so like conservative on the Spirit that we're weird as well. And so we're not really sure what to do with this third wheel, second cousin, Holy Spirit that we know we need to engage with, but we're not quite sure what to do with. And so the whole point of Ghost Stories this year is we want to look at the role of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament narrative And we want to see how does he tie back to his activity in the Old Testament. If God is an unchanging God, how does what the Spirit did in the Old and New Testament link together with the goal of helping us understand the Spirit of God better? Last week, Pastor Joe broke apart Genesis chapter 1. If you weren't here, make sure you jump on the podcast and listen to that. And he showed us in Genesis 1 the Spirit's role in creation and how that tied into the Spirit's role in the New Testament. Ultimately, the Spirit's role in Revelation chapter 22, at the end of all days, when we are ushered into eternity, what does the Spirit say? Come. It's the Spirit of God who ushers us into eternity forever. But this week, we're looking at the doctrine of regeneration. Welcome to theology class this morning. I am glad you are here. And we're going to define this for us in just a second. But I began to think this simple question this week. When I hear the word regeneration, where does my mind typically go? If you're like me, it was probably fifth grade, maybe biology class. Do you all remember seeing the picture of the lizard? Or maybe you saw a video where you could chop its tail off. And what happened to the tail of the lizard? It would grow back. It would regenerate a new tail. And that's typically, when we think of that word regeneration, what we think of. It's this process of renewal or regrowth. Here's the issue. Regeneration in the Scriptures is not that. And so we have to be very cautious. Sometimes we can take preconceived ideas and we can try to shove them into the Scriptures. That's not what regeneration is in the Bible. And I want to give you three questions. We're going to address regeneration from the Scriptures. Three questions to help us understand what's the Holy Spirit's role in regeneration and how does that tie back to the Old Testament. So if you're a note taker, point number one is this. What is regeneration? I'm a simple man. What is regeneration? Let's bring some clarity to this. Look again at John chapter 3 in your Bible. John chapter 3, Jesus talks about this idea of regeneration, this doctrine, and he gives us this 30,000-foot view that's going to serve as our understanding. In verse number 1 of John chapter 3, we're introduced to a man named Nicodemus. Maybe you've heard of this gentleman before. And the Bible says that Nicodemus was a Pharisee. What's interesting about Nicodemus here is his, his title literally means the separated ones. Now, that's an interesting thing to me because, again, think of being a religious leader of the time. One thing that Pastor Joe and I strive to be is we never want you to view us as like those are the, the, the separated ones from us. I heard it said one time that a good shepherd should smell like his sheep kind of a thing. We, we never want to be just this separated religious class and if we ever give that off, feel free to let us know kind of a thing. Let Joe know first and then he'll let me. No, I'm just kidding. 
But the Pharisees, they took pride in that. They were separated religious leaders of the day. But Nicodemus goes even further. Look at verse 1. Not only was he a Pharisee, but the Bible says that he was a ruler of the Jews, which means that in some capacity he had risen to the highest ranks of the Pharisees. But then look at verse number 2. He begins his interaction. He comes to Jesus at night. He didn't want his Pharisee buddies to know that he was talking to Jesus. And rather than asking Jesus a question, Nicodemus begins with a statement. In verse number 2, what does he do? He doesn't acknowledge Jesus as being God, being divine. Rather, he says, teacher, we understand that you have come from God. We understand you've come from God, but he wouldn't acknowledge that Jesus was God. There's a difference there. There's a difference in acknowledging that Jesus came from God and that Jesus is God. In his mind, it was a logical conclusion. Jesus does pretty miraculous things. Obviously, he must be just another one of these prophets from God who God has sent to the earth to do these amazing things. After all, that makes sense. Listen, recognition of Jesus' power but not his position. Here's a little side note. This is free for you this morning. If you only recognize Jesus' power but never his position as Lord in your life, you miss the whole boat. We have to not only acknowledge Jesus' power, but also his position in our lives. Nicodemus was missing the boat here because he understood power, but he didn't understand position. Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all, to quote the old cliche. He has to be Lord. You have to acknowledge his position. But then in verse number three, I love Jesus. Like I'm going to say that as a general statement. I love Jesus. Um, Non-general statement, I love Jesus in verse three. Because look at what Nicodemus says here. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God. Nobody could perform the signs you do unless God is with him. And then Jesus replies. He doesn't even acknowledge what Nicodemus just said. Jesus is like, that's cool. Let's move on to more important stuff. I I love Jesus. Now, look at what he says here. Rather than acknowledge what he just said, he points him to this theological truth. This is our, our platform for today. If you want to see the kingdom of God, which hopefully you do, Hopefully we all do. We want to make it to heaven someday. We want to be part of the eternal kingdom that Jesus offers. What's he telling? you got to be born again. Circle that in your Bible, those two words, born again. In the New Testament, the words born again are the exact same thing as our big doctrinal word today of regeneration. Jesus says, if you want to see the kingdom of heaven, you have to be regenerated. Verse number four, what's Nicodemus do? He says, hold up. Um... Jesus, I know expert. How's that possible? Why? Because Nicodemus is thinking in the flesh. He said, I came out as a seven pound, eight ounce baby. Now I'm 185 pounds. My mom ain't going to like me if we got to do this whole thing. He's like, Jesus, this doesn't make sense. And so Jesus brings clarity to regeneration and the spirit's role in regeneration. Look at verse five. I want to read this to you. Jesus says, "I, I tell you, Unless someone is born of water, that's physical birth, if you didn't know that, born of water and the Spirit, then he can't enter the kingdom of God. So what does Jesus tell us right out of the gate about this idea, this doctrine of regeneration? Three quick things. Regeneration is not something that happens to you physically. Rather, it's something that happens to us spiritually. Nicodemus was confused there. Second, regeneration is not something that you do. That's what Nicodemus wanted. He was a religious Pharisee. God, what must I do to inherit eternal life, as the rich young ruler said later in the Scriptures? No, regeneration is not something we do. It's something the Spirit does in our hearts. 
Point number three, regeneration of our hearts by the Spirit of God is necessary for us to inherit inherit the kingdom of God and to stand in the presence of God. You want to go to the kingdom of God, you have to understand this doctrine of regeneration. We see more of this in the New Testament. Let me give you a couple things. That when the Spirit of God regenerates your heart, here's what happens. You're a new creation in the eyes of God. You're fit for the kingdom of God, 1 John 5, 4. You have peace with God, Romans 5, 1. You are eternally a son or daughter of God, Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. From starting in John 3, all the way through the New Testament, we see over and over and over that the Spirit of God regenerates the heart of sinful man and gives us a new heart so that we can confidently stand in the presence of God because of the finished work of Jesus that makes it possible for you and me. If your heart's not been regenerated by the Spirit of God, you cannot stand in the kingdom of God. It's impossible. So what is regeneration? It's a heart exchange by the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God exchanging my heart with the heart of Jesus doing this supernatural work in me. So the question is this, how does that happen? How does that happen? Jesus talks about it. We know the Holy Spirit does it, but how does it actually happen? I'm going to give you another big Bible word. We said the word regeneration today. I don't like to steer away from Bible words. Here's our second word if you're a note taker. It's the word illumination. The word illumination is our our second one there. So what does that mean? I'm glad you asked. Let, Let me tell you. Ready for it? Illumination. Let's back up a little bit because this is important. If we want our hearts to be illuminated by God, what must happen? First off, you have to acknowledge the fact that you are dead in your sin. So if our hearts have not been regenerated by the Spirit of God, the Bible says that we're dead in our sin. That's terrible news. If that gets you excited, something's wrong with you. It is bad news that we're dead in our sin. But I want to show this to you. It talks about it in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. Adam and Eve have recently been created. God gives them one daggone commandment. See that tree over there? Don't touch it. See that tree over there? Don't, don't eat it. Just leave it alone. Do not eat that from that tree because the day that you eat from it, you're going to die. If you eat from that tree, you're going to die. Fast forward one chapter, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. What do Adam and Eve do? They looked at the fruit, saw that it was desirable to eat, and they chomped down on it. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, that sin entered the world in that moment. And with sin, because God said so in Genesis 2, verse 17, death was brought into the world. How so? First off, physical death. Adam and Eve would begin the process of dying physically. Some of you all, like, we get that. I've reached the point in my life where I'm no longer as physically um, and like enabled as I was when I was like 17. I wake up in the morning. Anybody do this when you're grown now? You wake up in the morning and you do this with your shoulders and all of a sudden your back goes like all the way down. You turn your head and your, your neck pops and then you turn your head the other way and you pull a muscle. I know I'm not the only one. Why is that? Because of Genesis chapter 3 verse 6. Our bodies are slowly deteriorating to the point of death. But not only that, it's the simple truth that if you're born, you will die. There's only one thing on planet Earth that has a guaranteed 100% chance of killing you. It's birth, if you didn't know that. If you're born, you will die. But also, you're spiritually dead. Like spiritually, we are dead and separated from God. Now, New Testament, dead in sin. Look at this, Romans 5, verse 12. Paul writes this, he says, sin entered the world through one man. That was Adam, Genesis 2, 17. And what happened? Death came because of sin, and death spread to all people because all had sinned. So because of our first ancestors, what happened? 
We're dying. We are dead. Physically, we're dying. Spiritually, apart from Jesus, we are dead. If our hearts have not been regenerated by the Spirit of God. Now track with me here. I want to make this little statement. This is important. Dead things don't know they're dead, and dead things don't bring themselves back to life. On the same page there? Dead things don't know they're dead, and dead things don't bring themselves back to life. Little story for you. So my wife this past year has become what I, don't tell her I said this, she's become what I like to call a plant lady, all right? Um, Now, I'm thankful, though, that she's not a cat lady, because that'd be just a whole other thing. But she's become a plant lady. I'll take plant lady over cat lady any day. But the thing is, she likes to buy all these plants for our house now, but the problem is we're bargain hunters and we're cheap. And so not once this whole year have we actually purchased full-price plants. We haven't done it one time. We go to Lowe's and Walmart and we buy the cheap stuff. But she has developed this knack where she finds that, like Lowe's, dead plants. Because you can buy a brand-new plant for $20. You can buy a dead plant for $1. And that's what she started to do. And so she'll come home and she'll be like, Aaron, what do you think of this plant? Neat, you know? I love it. It looks beautiful. But here's what, she, here's what she has the ability to do. You bring home this plant that's brown, it's wilted, it's fallen apart. I mean, it's, it's flat out dead. But when she gives it the proper care, the proper attention, water and sunlight, no joke, many times she's been able to resurrect that which is dead. And we now have plants in our home that are thriving because Liz gave it the attention that the plant needed. I say a lot to say this. This is hyperbole. You all know that with me. I've never once, when she brought home a dead plant, like got up in the middle of the night to eat a Pop-Tart, which I do. I never got up to eat a Pop-Tart, and I'm walking through our living room, and I hear, Psst, hey, buddy, come here. Come here. Walk over to the plant. I'm like, what? Hey, man, I'm dead. You do, can you help me out? Can, can you resurrect me? Can you do something about this? Can you bring me back to life? Why? Because dead things don't know they're dead, and dead things can't bring themselves back to life. Now track with me. If the Bible makes it clear in Romans 5.12, Genesis 2.17, Genesis 3, verse 6, that you and I are dead spiritually in our sin, here's the problem. There's nothing you can do about it, and you don't even know it. We, we look at the world de- like deteriorating around us and degrading and rotting, and we step back as Christians and we're like, why are they doing this? It's because the world is dead in sin, and they don't know it, and there's nothing they can do about it. So what's the solution? The doctrine of illumination. This is where the Spirit of God steps in to our story. We need, hear me here, the Spirit of God to illuminate our hearts to the reality that we are dead in our sin and need a Savior named Jesus. If the Spirit of God does not illuminate your heart to your need for Jesus... You, then you still, you don't know you're dead and there's nothing you can do about it. You need the Spirit to do that in you. Let me prove it to you. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, Paul talks about it. God said, let the light shine out of darkness. And what has He done? He has shown into our hearts, your dead, decrepit heart, to give light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus. It's God, the Spirit of God, that shines into our dark, dead hearts and says, you're a sinner and you need a Savior. And His name is Jesus. And if the Spirit of God does not do that in us and illuminate us, guess what happens? We stay dead. But track with me. When the Spirit of God illuminates your heart to the reality of your sin and the necessity of Jesus, He also gives you the option, the free will, as we would like to call it, to choose. 
Will you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved? Or will you be like the rich young ruler and reject that free gift of salvation, although your heart has been illuminated to the necessity of it? Now, here's, here's the big thing. Oh, man, we're going to get into some wild doctrine here, but not really because some of y'all want to fight with me. You ready? Are we dead in our sin and the Spirit of God has to awaken us to that reality because if He doesn't, there's nothing I can do about it? Yes. But Aaron, you just said that we also have the ability to choose Jesus. Yes. Well, how does that work? The Bible says so. Welcome to my TED Talk. Let's move on. Uh, Pastor Joe talked about that last week. There's black and white in Scripture. It only becomes gray when we make it gray. God said this. God said this. That's true. Okay. My heart needs to be illuminated to my need for Jesus. And then what do I do? I confess Him as Lord of my life. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. What does the Spirit do next after He illuminates me? He regenerates me. That's our word for the day. He turns my heart from a, a sinner to a saint from a follower of the principality of this world to a follower of Jesus Christ. The moment I say yes to Jesus, I have a heart exchange that takes place. I'm reconciled to God, 2 Corinthians 5, made a child of God, Galatians 4, 5, sealed as a child of God in Ephesians chapter 1. It's incredible what the Spirit of God does in me, in me after He illuminates my heart to the need for Jesus he then regenerates my heart to make me more like Jesus. Now, here's our big question. This is our last point for the day. Did he do that in the Old Testament too? I mean, that's the, that's the bridge we're trying to build in this series. If God did this in the New Testament, do he do it in the Old? Or has God changed? Were things different? Here's what I'm guilty of. I sometimes think of the Spirit like he's just like, you ever watch a Marvel movie? And Stan Lee just randomly shows up. And you're like, oh, there he is. There he goes. <laughs> Yet you know that Stan Lee had influence over the entire Marvel universe. That's the Spirit of God. It's like I know that he has influence over this whole thing known as God's historical narrative, redemptive narrative. And occasionally in the Scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, it's like, oh, there's the Holy Spirit. He's gone. <laughs> Where'd he go? And I tend to think, and, and, and again, I'm still guilty of this, that the Spirit of God's activity begins in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. That's not true. The Spirit of God was working and active and doing so many things in the life of, of followers of God throughout the Old Testament. So our final question is this. How were people in the Old Testament regenerated? If we believe that the Spirit of God has to illuminate the hearts of men and women to their need for Jesus and then regenerate their hearts... How did the Spirit of God do that in the Old Testament? Did He do it the same way? Well, let's start off with this, this initial thing, and you've heard me talk about this before. We have to first acknowledge who has always been the object of our salvation from Genesis to Revelation. Jesus. You, you've seen me draw this before. Pr pretend for a moment that this podium is, is the cross of Christ. Right? It's, it's that historical moment where the calendar was torn in half where the sinless Son of God died on a cross for you and me and resurrected from the grave. You and I live on this side of the cross. We live post-Acts chapter 1. We live this side of the cross. How are we saved? We look back to that Messiah that had already come named Jesus. We believe that He's Lord. We believe He's the solution to sin. We believe that we need Jesus. Well, how does that happen? My heart has to be illuminated to the reality that I'm a sinner then I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, 
I'm saved, and the Spirit of God regenerates my heart. What about on this side of the cross? See, on this side of the cross, from Genesis chapter 1 all the way through the book of Malachi, we've had thousands of years of human history. How were these people saved? They looked to a Messiah that was coming. Again, it's the same thing. It's just different sides of the story. Did they know it was Jesus? No. They just knew that God was going to send a Messiah that He had promised all the way in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that someday someone would come from the line of Adam who would step on the foot of the serpent and redeem mankind for all of eternity. They knew it to be true. They just didn't know His name yet. And they were just looking to Jesus to know someday that Savior is going to come. Someday that Messiah is going to come. Someday, someday, someday. Here's the reality, though. When I stand on this side of the cross, I'm dead in my sin. Why? Because of what happened in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. Let me ask you a question. On this side of the cross, do these people still stand dead in their sin, condemned for all eternity? Mm -hmm. Yep. Can the law save them? Nope. We talked about that in Galatians. The law can't save. Can't do it. So, So how do they know that they stand condemned? They need the Spirit of God to illuminate their hearts just like you and I did. You see, the object of salvation has never changed. The avenue of salvation has never changed. It's always been Jesus. Let me read a couple of verses for you here that I think are important to show that to you. John chapter 8, verse 56. Jesus talking of Abraham, the father of, of the nations, the nation of Israel. Abraham list, existed over here in the timeline. Genesis chapter 12. And here's what Jesus says about Abraham. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and he was glad. What does that mean? That Abraham, while he was existing over here, this side of the cross, he knew the Messiah was coming, that someday who we know as Jesus would come to redeem all humanity. And Abraham looked forward to that day. He knew it was coming. Then you go on. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. The hall of faith as it's known in the Bible. We see all of these Old Testament figures listed in the faith that they had. And it says, they all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised. But what did they do? They saw them from a distance. They're existing on this side of the narrative. The cross had not come, but they're looking to the Messiah who would someday come. It says they saw him from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. What did they see from a distance? A heavenly home awaited for them through a coming Messiah. Jesus has always been the object of salvation. And friends, I think we can make the biblical argument that the Spirit of God has always been the one who illuminates our hearts to the need for the object of our salvation. That is Jesus. Say, Aaron, where do you get that from? Let me show you a couple verses here. In the Old Testament, you're not going to see this phrase born again like we see in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, you're going to see this phrase circumcision of the heart. We've talked about that so much in Galatians. It was this covenant sign from God. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16, Moses told Israel to have your heart circumcised. What does that mean? That you have to be regenerated by the Spirit of God. Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 4, Jeremiah told the nation of Israel, circumcise your heart. Why? Because you have to be regenerated by the Spirit of God. Ezekiel told them in Ezekiel 18, verse 31, Israel, you need a new heart and a new spirit? I'm spitting, man. I'm starting to preach. Because you're messed up and you're dead in your sin and you have to be regenerated by the Spirit of God. What's the pattern here? Both sides of the Bible. Jesus is the object. The Holy Spirit is the avenue. 
Jesus is the object. The Holy Spirit is the avenue by which your heart can be regenerated. And I'm going to give you one more because I tricked you all. You ready? John chapter 3. I think one of the most compelling arguments that we have in all of the Scriptures to the Spirit of God being the one who illuminates and regenerates the heart of those in the Old Testament is John chapter 3. And you might be thinking to yourself, wait a second, John chapter 3 is in the New Testament, technically. Technically, it is in your Bible. But when John chapter 3, those events of Scripture occurred, remember this, Jesus has not died or been resurrected yet. Jesus is speaking to a religious leader existing on this side of the cross. And look at what He says to him. I love this in verse Verse 7 of John 3, Jesus says to Nicodemus, Hey, don't be amazed that I told you you have to be born again. You have to be born of the water and the Spirit. The Spirit of God has to do something in you if you want to see the kingdom of God. He tells a religious leader this side of the cross, if you actually want to experience the kingdom of God, listen, it's by the Spirit of God. Jesus didn't tell him that's this side of the cross. No, no, no. That was this side of the cross. The object of our salvation has always been Jesus. And the avenue of our salvation, the one who regenerates the heart of sinful men and women, is the Spirit of God. And next week we're going to talk about the indwelling Spirit of God and how that functioned, and it's going to help bring clarity to all of this. But we ask this question every week at Living Hope. Do you know Jesus? Has, has the Jesus that we've talked about so much today illuminated your heart to the fact that you're a sinner and you need a Savior? It's not just this random fact. It's a reality that if you want to see the kingdom of God, your heart has to be regenerated. Because bad news is what? That you're a sinner. Worse news is what? There's nothing you can do about it. Good news is what? Jesus died in your place. Best news is what? The Spirit of God can awaken your heart to that reality. If you've never given your life to Jesus, my gracious, October 17th sure seems like a good day to me. Let me pray for you. Father, thank You so much for Your Word. God, I thank You so much for... God, how your word is alive, active, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. God, how it penetrates the bones and the marrow of our souls, God, and it changes us. And God, if there's any of my friends here this morning that maybe the Spirit of God has never infiltrated their heart and given them that new heart that you offer, that right now in this moment, Lord, I believe that you're awakening and illuminating their heart to the reality that they need a Savior named Jesus. And in this moment, Father, we pray that they would simply confess their sin, acknowledge You as Lord of their life, and give themselves completely and wholly over to You. Thank You for Your Word, God. Thank You that it's still speaking. And I pray now as we sing that our voices are a sweet sound through the corridors of heaven, giving Jesus the praise that only He deserves for who He is, for what He's done on our behalf. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.